0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for each one that is here assembled together in your name and Lord for safe travel and being able to be back today. Lord, we ask that you would take this time and enable us as we are laying the groundwork, as we are studying, that you would help us to see and understand uh, the flow of your revelation of You revealing yourself to us. And Lord, we thank and praise you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. your outlines there. And uh, if you need one, wave your hand. And what we're trying to do is cover the material here on the front of the page. On the back is uh revelation that continues and as you can see we're uh we're getting a, a fairly full page of just information uh that continues and this is not going anywhere it is going to uh keep building as god gives his uh information to us and let's just turn the page over on the back if you wouldn't spend a few few minutes here as we have God introducing himself as the creator of all that is God's words. God tells Adam and Eve, he said, you are to dress the garden, you are to keep it, Uh, but there's a tree in the midst of the garden and you're not supposed to eat of it. Adam and Eve did. God judged them. God still judges sin. This is set up from the beginning of the Bible all the way through. It does not change. Uh, people have said, "Well, why doesn't God rain fire like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah?" Well, the Bible explains that. We'll get to that. He is long suffering toward us. Word, he's giving you and I time to be right with God take advantage of that time uh, uh, you read through the book of Proverbs and it says a foolish man calleth for strikes uh, it's it's a very foolish person that says um, I, I want to be judged examine me some of you remember uh, I can't uh, oh we had a candidate for president several years ago told the press to follow him around they did And, uh, that ended his candidacy for presidency real quick because he was doing all kinds of, uh, rotten stuff. This was back before Bill Clinton. Uh, but anyway, we'll keep moving here. Uh, God establishes the bloody sacrifice at the Garden of Eden. They were there in the garden as God killed those animals. And made skins. And Adam and Eve had to stand there and um, uh, watch God do this. And then God never explains again. We don't have God coming down to Abel and saying, I want you to bring a lamb and I want you to kill the lamb and burn the lamb. That was all understood. Adam and Eve had seen it happen. They explained it to Abel. Cain did not. Have an excuse. What Cain did was pure, bonafide, unadulterated rebellion against God. Uh, And so we keep moving down through here. Uh, Sin brings death upon the human race. Only God can rectify the sin problem. And if we will understand that we are sinners, not only by choice, but by nature. We are born dead. If we would understand what happened in the Garden of Eden, it would make you willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is God's answer for sin. Amen? Uh, The problem is we we think, well, I'm really not that bad. No, you're dead. Because you were born in the image of Adam who died... The day that he ate that fruit, his physical body lives, his, his soul continued to live, but he was spiritually dead. He could not relate to a living God. And so, all of these things happen in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Then God judges Adam and Eve for their sin uh, God establishes marriage. That's not a judgment. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, as part of the judgment, He He sets up an order in the marriage. When when God created man and woman, He created them as equals. But when sin came, God judged and said, "Adam, you did not take responsibility for your wife. You did not protect her. She was deceived." Adam wasn't. The Bible tells us that very clearly, and God comes down and says, "Listen, your desire talking to Eve is going to be to your husband. There, there is going to be an order here, and Adam is going. A man is going to have to accept that responsibility. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems we have in our society, is men refuse to be men, and of course we have a lot of." Um, I hate the word feminist, because there is nothing feminine about feminist. Uh, and and uh, yet, they, they proclaim that they're equal with man and all of that. And uh, We're not here to argue those things. We're here to obey what the Bible says and the standards that God has set up. Amen? There was a promise given, and, and we learned something. God moves Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. It would be destroyed later by the flood. None of it remains. The tree of life, we see that in the book of Revelation. And so God took the tree of life out of the Garden of Eden. And it's going to be, if we understand things correctly, in the New Jerusalem. Uh, it is going to uh, be the source of life. And God explains to man how he's supposed to live. And man corrupts himself to the point that God sends a flood. One of the things we saw, we were driving down between Los Angeles and San Diego. And uh, we got stuck right in the edge of a front. I mean, you could just see the black cloud. And we were just here. And you could see the sunlight right in front of you. And we followed that thing for an hour down the highway through the traffic, but one of the neat things was we got to see a double rainbow uh, because we were right on the edge of the storm. And and uh, that was and we were sitting in the church parking lot uh, Wednesday night just before church, and, and another little storm blew across. And I said, you know, the sun's out, we ought to see a rainbow. And my wife said, it's right over there. And we we're just sitting in, the, you know. Hey, God still sends rainbows and they have nothing to do with uh, moral perversion. Amen. They have everything to do with God's promise that he will never destroy the earth with a flood again. That's why I'm, I'm not worried about global warming. The ice caps aren't going to melt and and, uh, uh, and flood the world. God said that's not going to happen, so I'm not going to worry about that. We, uh, we continue here, and, and as Noah gets off of the ark, God has already delineated clean animals versus unclean animals. And, uh, uh, those were to be offered in sacrifice, and we have God narrowing this down. We have capital punishment coming in. We have God forming man giving man a responsibility to govern himself. Now, as Americans, that ought to mean something to us. As the first nation in modern history to govern itself. That was considered radical. Uh, The king of England couldn't imagine that anyone could get along Uh, That normal people could deal with the issues of government without a king to tell them what to do. That was part of our problem there. And and, uh, yet, God established that when Noah got off the ark. You know, how much different could the world be if they just pay attention to the Bible? Amen? Amen? And uh, now, after the flood, we have the eating of meat, we have uh, the sacrifice of only clean animals, God makes a covenant with man. One of the problems that often presents itself as we are studying the Bible as a whole, using what we call a dispensational approach, we see the different administrations... Uh, if we just took the Greek word and put it in the English language, it's in our New Testament. It's the word economy. It, it is a complete system or administration of distribution of God's grace. And uh, God continually is giving more and more information. We have the pattern that is set up. God sets his standard, he gives man revelation, and what does man do? Rebel against it. God then judges it. And then God brings more revelation because God is moving. He has a plan here. He is painting a picture. He is teaching us about himself, things that we could never discern by ourselves. If we study our Bible, Romans chapter 1 tells us we can look up into the sky at night and know that God exists. But we cannot know whether the Romans are right, or the Buddhists are right, or the Babylonians, or any of the, we cannot know about the nature and purpose of God, His benevolence, or His uh malevolence as, as the case may be we cannot know any of those any of those things about God except what is given to us in this book called the Bible God is trying to teach us about himself and any any student of the word of God at all any cursory reading tells you Things were different in the Garden of Eden than they are today. Amen. And so what we do with this dispensational approach is we are allowing for those differences in how God administrates, how God reveals himself. And we're actually emphasizing the progression of God's revelation as he is building Line upon line, precept upon precept, if we can take that out of Isaiah. And we have this thing called civil government is the is the one we use for the third dispensation. This begins as God at the end of the flood, as Noah comes out, organizes man into a society, gives him responsibility. And then who shows up? Nimrod. And what does he try to do? Put himself in the place of God. And God confounds the languages and now we see God focusing on one man, Abraham. And we're going to see that focus on Abraham continue all the way through the rest of our Bible. Because tonight we want to cover the law. And, and so, and then we have promise. This is from the call of Abraham to the giving of the law in Mount Sinai. And as God had chosen to deal with Abraham and his seed after him, his family, as it was called in Isaac. And as Isaac's seed was called in Jacob, who later was renamed Israel, the descendants of Abraham through Jacob make up the nation of Israel. And God has chosen to deal uh, with them. And what do we have happening at the end of the dispensation of promise? Egypt enslaving and trying genocide to destroy the Jewish people. They were, what was Pharaoh's last command before all of these things happened? He was going to kill all the male children that were born. You know, you can talk about uh, everything, that the uh, uh, overpopulation and all of this, but mankind has never been more than one generation from extinction. If we had one generation that did not produce children, mankind would be wiped off the face of the earth. Now, we don't have that problem because God said, go be fruitful and multiply. It's one of the few things that God has said, uh, but if you want want, want to understand why abortion is so important because it's just another way that the world can try to stick their finger in God's eye and say, we're just not going to do it your way. Uh, And don't don't buy into the overpopulation thing. We can still grow enough wheat in Kansas to feed the world. We're paying our farmers not to raise food. It, It is not that this earth could not sustain twice the population that we have today. I mean, you get out of New York City, and one of the things that you're going to be amazed with is how much empty space is in this world. Uh, Even uh, we were downtown San Diego. San Diego is a major city. And, uh, we were looking there, uh, Wednesday afternoon after, uh, between the services. And so it just went, I like, lo- I like to see downtowns. And, and I, I like to go, mine's bigger. <laughs> New York is bigger. Uh, but, uh, we, how much empty space is there? Let me tell you, don't worry about these people who want to start uh, colonies on the moon and on Mars and all the science fiction. Just understand it is science and fiction. It's not science. All right. Uh, what we need, we have. God has given it to us. But. The world, the most powerful nation in the world, was Egypt. They tried to destroy God's people. And when Egypt was done, when God was done with Egypt, Egypt goes into its own dark ages. In fact, Egypt really never recovered from the children of Israel leaving the land of Egypt and all of God's judgment against it. This is the pattern and uh, we will notice as we go through the law, some people, they want to divide our Bible up into too many sections. You know, they'll take, well, the judges, was a dispensation? Well, let me ask you, what was in force during the time of the judges? The law of God. Did, did God's law change? Nope. God's law was before the judges. God's law was after the judges. Uh, Did the way people worship change? Well, they had the tabernacle, but that didn't change. You say, well, under the kings, they built the temple with Solomon. Doesn't that qualify? Well, actually it doesn't because it was all the same ceremonies carried out exactly the same way. So we have things changing. And we want to be careful... That we don't take the covenants, the promises that God made, and try to make them oppose the dispensational differences and periods we have. God's promises transcend all dispensations. God's promises to Abraham that through him his seed would be blessed will ultimately find, have ultimately found their fulfillment. In Jesus Christ, but truly won't be completely realized until we get to the millennial kingdom, which hasn't even happened yet. Are are we all together there? And so, as we are, what our purpose in going through this study is simply to give you a platform that when someone says, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Oh, no, we've been studying that in church. It's called dispensationalism. You just need to get an education. As long as you learn what the Bible says, it's, it's not the fact that uh, uh, you couldn't know. It's the fact that you do not know. And if you would choose to learn, we, you will find out that the Bible is one book, that the God of the Bible is one God. So we come to law. Now, law is probably the most outstanding and um uh we might might even say the premier dispensation they got the most revelation they uh under the period of law god explained things com- uh, much more fully yet even uh those people who lived under the law and understood and walked with Jesus really didn't understand what the law was all about until Jesus resurrected and went up into heaven. And so what we're doing is we're just laying this out and we'll try to, once we get through all the dispensations, uh, the key characteristic is God's giving of the law. 613 commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments are the preface or the covenant of God's laws, and God wrote them with his finger in stone. Unlike the uh what is it, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever that silly thing was, uh Indiana Jones did not find the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Uh, if the Ark of the Covenant is located. And uh, there is that possibility that it is buried in the caves underneath the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's why the Arab world goes crazy every time the Jewish people start investigating what's under... Because if the Jewish people were to unearth the Ark of the Covenant... You know what? It would disprove everything that is in the current. Of course, we don't need that. All we need is a Bible. Amen? But God is still dealing with the Jewish people. And God gave them the law. The law was written. And in that ark are those tables of stone that God wrote with his own finger. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's something I'd like to see. But if I could see that, would it make me believe more in the Bible than I already do? Absolutely not. We don't need relics. We've got the truth. You know, they found those Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, the scroll of Isaiah was subject to... Great investigation and the text was poured over. And, and you know what they found after all that incredible investigation? There was the same text as in your King James Bible. And, and there are still... Uh, 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 Peter corrected me one time. He said, they're still studying it. I said, yeah, but they're not studying it like they used to study it son. Because when they found out it's the same text that we already have, then it didn't fit their pattern. You see, they were trying to find some way to supplant the Word of God. Not going to happen, my friend. God has preserved His words, and we have God writing the law so that we now have an objective standard by which to measure things. This is one of the keys that, you, you, uh, that will help you understand why people get caught up in the tongue speaking movement, the signs and the wonders, the, uh, the Benny Hinn and all of that is because people are looking and desire what is known as a subjective faith. It's well I don't feel that that's right well feelings are subjective because you can feel good about something that's bad can't you you can feel bad about something that's good because everything becomes subject to you and if it's subject to you and your emotions who actually then sits upon the throne of God you do But if our faith is objective, we do not fall down and worship the leather and the ink and the paper that make our Bible. But we better fall down and worship the God that the Bible tells us about. We better understand that the words of this book are authoritative. And that God has given us this law to help us understand the difference between right and wrong. You know, we live in a world where people want to relegate good and evil to opinion. The official definition of the word obscenity is a community-based judgment opinion on something that is unacceptable this is why what is considered normal today our our grandparents couldn't have even countenanced it I remember talking to brother Thompson one time in 1962 the supreme court made a decision saying that prayer was banned from public schools because uh, school, uh public schools are not supposed to propagate religion. Well, we're not going to go into what public schools propagate today. Uh, but if you want to know, just tune in on the news and see what our freshman representatives are pulling off today and calling truth. And you'll understand what's going on and being indoctrinated in our public schools. Uh, it's nonsense my friend and yet this they remove prayer and I asked Brother Thompson I said Brother Thompson why Why didn't you uh, it just seems like the, the, the Christian people did nothing and he said we couldn't comprehend an America where we thought it was a fluke and by the time we realized that this was a serious act of of a segment of our society trying to destroy our God consciousness, it was already um, uh, made a part of the law and we, we couldn't do the same thing with abortion and all the rest of this. And so, we, we must keep our eyes open, we must keep our eyes focused on the object of God's, law because this is the only way we can know what is right and what is wrong what is good and what is evil what is clean and what is dirty and so um, God also established priest and in his law he uh, as He sent Moses into Mount Sinai. You know, Abraham didn't go around doing miracles, did he? Hello? Isaac didn't do miracles. But Moses sure did, didn't he? Now, here's what God is doing. He is offering physical evidence to the proof of the message of God's Word. That's what all the plagues were. They were signs. They were proof. And if you want to learn anything and understand anything about signs and wonders, it is this. If you've chosen in your heart to believe God, the signs and wonders are going to make you believe God. And if you've chosen in your heart you're not going to believe God, the signs and wonders are going to make you not believe God. I mean, what other explanation could you have of what happened to Pharaoh? Every part of the Egyptian society and economy had been destroyed. And yet he takes the only thing left, the chief leaders of his army, and chases the children of Israel into the Red Sea to their utter destruction. That's madness. But that is what happens when we refuse to accept God's laws. Amen? Okay, good, good. All right. And, of course, the greatest revelation, and this happened under the law, read Hebrews chapter 1, is the birth of Jesus Christ. The greatest revelation of God to man is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. God walking with the disciples. And so, we come down through here and we uh, just review these. In fact, let's just take a moment. Uh, We have not done this enough and uh, we should. Exodus chapter 20, if you would. Let's just read the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. They're also found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment 1. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Commandment number 2. Explained. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, here's an interesting part. God, as He is giving His law, is also promising a pathway of reconciliation or repentance to those who have broken it. Did you, did you catch that? God is going to judge them, not only the people that do that, but they are bringing judgment upon their children to the third and fourth generation, but He's showing mercy Unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Be careful with God's name. Don't, don't ever say Jesus this or Jesus Christ that or oh my God or any of these things that God's name is special. We need to be careful with it. I met one person. He tried to explain that, oh, my God, was an abbreviated prayer. I said, well, if you could show me one verse in the Bible where God tells us to abbreviate our prayers, I'd be on your side. Uh, But there's not one. Uh, Don't abbreviate your prayers. If you want to pray, pray. If you're not going to pray, don't pray. But don't do it halfway. That's an insult. That's that's not treating God as he ought to be treated. Amen. And uh so it says, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." That is Saturday. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy wor- all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Now, do you see what God is doing here? He is taking continuing revelation that was established in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and bringing it right up to the present date, this is about 1,600 years before Christ was born, and locking it in and saying, here is why the Sabbath day is God's day. And the Sabbath day always has been, always will be Saturday. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor is asked, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. You know what? If we were to enforce that last commandment, Hollywood would just about have to go out of business now, wouldn't it? Uh, and uh, so would uh, uh, 90% of all advertising making you want something that somebody else has. has. Keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, that's... A phrase that people use. I know the Jones. They're great people. Uh, uh, They live in Cleveland. And have been a great blessing to that church. And and actually to our family over the years. And uh, we're not trying to keep up with them. We had a whole lot more kids than they did anyway. So we passed them up. Uh, So anyway. Beyond here. Let's. Just one other little aside. Several years ago now only happened once. The Boy Scouts had a Ten Commandment walk. And they uh, approached us and said, all we'd like you to do is uh, let the Boy Scouts come in and ask some questions about your church. We have no problem with that. Well, I looked at the Ten Commandments, and that was really interesting. Because they had obviously been written by the Catholic priest. And you know what he did? He took out the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It wasn't in there. And he took the last commandment and said, Thou shalt not covet. And then it went on to say, uh, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. And those were the ninth and tenth commandments uh, because the Catholic Church is full of statues. Images that people bow down and kiss and reverence and worship. And it was amazing to me that someone would be so arrogant as to literally alter the thing. And I I brought that to the attention of one of the leaders. I said, your your Ten Commandments is all messed up here. And he said, what do you mean? I said, the second one's not there. I I said, somebody took it out and your nine and ten are actually just number ten. And uh, shook him up a little bit. They never came back. Um, But uh, these are God's Ten Commandments. And I I like to put it this way. We have, as of 20-some years ago, two and a half million laws on the federal statutory books of the United States of America. Every one of them trying to help you keep the Ten Commandments. The moral code of God's law has never been equaled. And I would challenge you, it cannot be surpassed. The moral code of the Bible is the highest that has ever been known to mankind. So what did Israel do with the Ten Commandments? Well, it wasn't hardly ten chapters later, and they made a golden calf. And it was Aaron standing up there. This is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, pointing at a golden calf. They failed to enter the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, at God's direction. They failed to fully occupy and conquer the land in the book of Judges. They they turned their back on God and asked for a king. And their first king rebelled against God and actually sought to a witch, uh, sought to the devil to try to get direction from God. David was the king after God's own heart, but committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered in the war. Solomon, as if the sins of David were. Not horrible enough. He multiplied them and even sacrificed his own children to the devils of the foreign pagan religions of his land. Israel, the northern kingdom, completely forsook God and was removed from this land never to return. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, the Jerusalem was removed from their land, the Babylonian captivity. You know what the Bible says in the book of Romans? There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you'll read the book of Galatians, that's the real work of the law, my friend. Law is to convict you. The law is to find you guilty. The Ten Commandments are not there to give you a pathway to earn your way to heaven. They are there giving you the fact that there is no hope for you in achieving righteousness. That is the purpose of God's law. And the, the center Of everything that God uh, did in His law were the sacrifices. And every sacrifice pictures part of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I I love teaching on the tabernacle. Maybe when we finish this, we'll go through the tabernacle again. Would anybody object to that? Uh, I I just really... uh, Because every part of the Christian life, every part of your relationship, we... We talk, people say, do you have dress standards at your church? Uh, The priest had dress standards. Did you know that? What happened to the priest if he didn't follow God's dress standards? Now, we're not going to do that here, all right? But uh, some people say, wow, they kill people if they don't dress right. No, that's not it at all. But we, we need to learn that every part of your life is important to God. Every thought you think, every deed you do, every place you go, everything is important to God. That's why the law was so exacting. How many of you enjoy a golden uh, bowl of uh, so many shekels weight And a golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense. And and the silver bowl. uh, and, And it repeats it over and over. And you're just sitting there going, Why does God put this? Because He wants you to understand something. He is much more careful and tedious in His understanding of us than we are in our understanding of Him. And God would like us to exercise a little more concern, a little more carefulness. Uh, Really, you want to understand the Bible term for that. It's called the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. God put this law in here to teach us how careful it was. God's judgment can, seems like it was all through the law no sooner had he given them the 10 commandments than all of the worshipers of the golden calf were killed and god plagued the children of israel and, and we had all of the judgments in the 40 years wandering we have the battles we have everything going on in the book of judges as the children of israel would corrupt themselves and and it didn't it wasn't i want you to get something about the book of judges it wasn't on a uh, level playing field here that they uh, forgot God and God sold them into uh, uh, judgment and then they remembered God. No, it was a downward spiral. If you had told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 when he was still alive that the events of Joshua chapter 21 and the end of that book, uh, and the end of the book of Judges would have happened. You, you, Joshua couldn't comprehend that Israel would have sunk as Loah did from the beginning of Joshua to the end of the book of Judges. Uh, judges was a continual cycle. I think I probably called Joshua Judges and things, but I think you understand what I was saying there, right? Um, And so, uh, we have God even removing the land of Israel, destroying the temple in Jerusalem, raising it to the ground. The temple that was rebuilt did not have the Ark of the Covenant in it. The Ark of the Covenant was only in Solomon's temple. Now, what is the important part of that? On the Day of Atonement, where sins were forgiven, it was the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, which is the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. You see, there are people who accuse us as dispensationalists of coming up with different methods of salvation, and there are people who claim to be dispensational that actually believe that. Where they get it, I don't know. But... No one was ever saved by the works of the law. No one was ever saved by the blood of those animals that were sprinkled. If that was the only means of salvation, then Daniel and his three friends were lost to eternity because there was no mercy seat. There was no temple in their lifetime. And when the temple was reinstated with Zerubbabel and and, and all at uh, Jehoshaphat and, and uh, rebuilt, there was no Ark of the Covenant in the holy place. So all of those generations, including Joseph and Mary, the mother and father of Jesus, earthly speaking, biblically speaking wise, were all lost if salvation was in the physical carrying out of the commandments. You see, this is what we believe. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith. God is in the soul-saving business. But does God have the right to write 613 laws and tell the children of Israel they have to obey every one of them? Absolutely He does. What? What? Where would you come up with an idea or a thought process that says... God does not have the right to tell us how we ought to worship Him when He is our Creator. You see, the Calvinist loves to paint impossible pictures and makes God responsible for sin. And says, see there, you can't ask about it. And yet they intellectualize everything else in the Bible to the point of absurdity. You see, this is why we reject Calvinism. And why I keep bringing it up. Because it is a disease. It's infecting churches today. You see, we believe that God gave a law on Mount Sinai. And he meant it to be obeyed. But the main purpose of that law, as we read the book of Galatians, is to be our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ is to prove that no matter how exacting God is in giving us an opportunity to understand His holiness and His law, we can't keep it. Only Jesus could. Amen? Every dispensation, every administration of God's grace should do one thing and one thing alone. Direct us to the fact that God is good and God is interested in saving souls. Amen? And that God gives us a word that we can examine. And the greatest judgment, some have asked, what was the judgment in the law? How did that finally come out to being? Have you ever heard of a thing called the cross? That was the greatest outpouring of God's judgment in the history of mankind. Because when God poured out all of that judgment upon Jesus Christ, read Isaiah 53. Was God satisfied? Was all the world saved after Noah built an ark and the flood was done? Nope. God said, my spirit's not always going to strive with man. He said, I'm not going to always be here uh, uh, doing this. But when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, God said, I'm satisfied. There is the great judgment, my friend. And it completes the cycle and makes law another complete dispensation ...with the other four that we have studied hitherto. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to lay the rest of this groundwork in the next few weeks... ...and then we're going to try to just apply it and help uh, under- give you a, a a solid toolbox... ...for looking at your Bible and being able to understand the Bible consistently, literally, in its context and keeping the Bible from uh, delving into the world of all these mistakes and contradictions. The contradictions are there because of the imagination of mankind and a misunderstanding of God's Word. And what we're trying to do is help you understand God's Word to the point to where you can see the continuity and realize that those quote-unquote contradictions, only exist in the minds of people who have already chosen to reject God's revelation. All God's people said. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the attentiveness of our people. We ask, Lord, that you would use our, our time here to build us in the faith and to strengthen our faith in your word and Lord, to cause us to investigate the law of God and to embrace it as David did and and understand that thy commandment is exceeding broad. Lord, the greatest freedom that we can have is to live within the boundaries of the grace of God. Lord, we thank and love you. And we ask that you would guide us through this study and through these coming weeks in our service for you. In your name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, just have the piano play. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open.